welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Hello again, this is Pastor Derek, and I just wanted to jump in real quick before we get started on this week's installment of the Graceway Sermon Cast and give you as a listener kind of an update about what's going on in our season of transition in our ministry. Back in January, at the beginning of this year, uh, we decided as a church to begin joining in fellowship and holding uh, collaborative worship services with another church in our area, a church by the name of Living Hope Fellowship, where Chris Reber is the pastor. Uh, We have decided to do that through a season of transition within our ministry as we seek God's guidance for us in the next steps. And so over the course of that season, you're going to be hearing at times, Pastor Chris Reber will be bringing the message on our sermon cast, and then at other times you'll hear my voice along with some other guest speakers as well. Uh, So just wanted to let you know as a listener kind of what's going on. And so if you hear a different voice as you tune in, that's kind of what's going on. So I'm going to jump off of here and we'll get started with the message. Pastor Chris was saying, you know, I just really feel a sense in the leading that uh, we need to kind of just get in and, and do a, a, almost a, a, a review or a, 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 these are the foundational basic truths of the Christian faith. Uh, because I don't know if you know this, but uh, n- not everybody agrees on everything. You ever notice that? You ever notice that? Have you ever found that not everybody agrees on everything and not all Christians agree on everything? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that uh, not, all, uh, not all churches agree on everything, denominations and stuff? Heck, man, inside of your own church, not every Christian's going to agree on everything inside your church. And in your family, not everybody's going to agree on everything. We just don't agree on everything. And so um, it's sometimes it just, it, it's hard, right, to, to deal with that. What, we don't always agree on everything. But one thing we do find is we must look and be very sure about what the Word of God does say we have to agree on. There are some things that we must come into agreement on, not with one another, but with God and what he is clearly saying to us, right? And so that's what he said. I just kind of feel we need to kind of just go through. Here's what we're founded on, these foundational truths, kind of like a chair or like a table or your home or even this building. If, a found, if, you, take one of, if you take a leg away from a chair, what's going to happen? It's going to fall, right? If you, take, if you start messing with the foundation or the cornerstone of a building, what's going to happen? You're going to have issues. It's not going to stand as firmly. In the Christian faith uh, and, and in following Jesus, there are some foundational truths that you must stand upon. And if you take those out, the whole thing begins to fall apart. It, there's no reason uh, for us to follow God anymore if these things that we say are true are not and we believe are true or not. And so for the next several weeks, you know, Pastor Chris said, hey, Let's just, you know, this is the direction I'm going, and sometimes I'll ask you to speak, and other times we'll not. Last week, he intended to kind of get in and start, but with the Spirit of God moving in a different direction, he was going to talk about the Word of God, and uh, so that means that we're kicking off this week, and uh, I, I got the hardest one. I got the Holy Spirit, uh, so that's what he's like. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to still do the Word. I'm thinking, oh, good, I get to do the Bible instead of the Spirit. No, he's like, I'm going to stick with the Word, and you take the Holy Spirit. Well, thanks a lot for that. I appreciate that. That is a real blessing right? Um, but the, tr- <laughs> the truth is, uh, just a few weeks ago when Pastor Chris was talking about unity in the church, 
even though we may not agree on everything or we may have a, a different view on something here or a different interpretation of something somewhere in, in something, there are some things that the, the Spirit of God will guide us into agreement on. And those are the things that God expressly wants us to know and, and ground our faith in. See, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not making carbon copies of everybody, everybody walking around looking and talking and acting exactly alike. Because if that were the case, he wouldn't give us all individual fingerprints. He wouldn't make us look different. There wouldn't be people with hair and people without hair. There wouldn't be different colors of skin. There wouldn't be Louisville fans and Kentucky fans. There wouldn't be these massive differences, right? There just wouldn't be. But here's what uniformity looks like. It is a loving cooperation of believers based upon the truth of God's word and his Holy Spirit leading us to glorify him together. Not glorify ourselves, but glorify him together. And the truth is that God loves diversity in his body. If he didn't, he wouldn't have created us so differently with different personality types. And then he wouldn't gift us with different gifting, gifting matrices. And that, you say matrices, and see, see if you can get it, right? <laughs> gifting makeups and things. He wouldn't do that. He loves diversity. Matter of fact, that's how he intends for us to operate to glorify God. He loves that. But he's leading us to one place and one place only, church, and that is to his glory. His glory. His renown. His fame. And people to see him. And I think sometimes while we wrestle with what we see taking place in Asbury right now, is we're looking at it and we're thinking, man, like Pastor Chris said, there's no spectacle. There's no superstars. There's no celebrities showing up. Oh, some have tried. But here's the deal. We rob the spirit of his power. We rob God of what the awareness we need to have of him when we start saying, hey, you know, man, things really kicked off when so-and-so got there. No, things kicked off when the spirit showed up last Wednesday. And so that's what we want to look at this morning because I know many of us in this room, when I say the Holy Spirit, you probably got it 10 million different ideas and you probably have 10 million different fears on where you're going to go with this buddy you're listening close right right before christmas um uh we did a right before christmas we finished up a series at graceway on walking through the book of romans and that is a fun walk that's why they call it the romans road um but we were in this passage that was talking about how sometimes we elevate our preferences and we elevate our interpretations and those things that we're actually given liberty to be diverse in, we elevate those things to the level of doctrine and we le elevate those things to the level of foundational truths. And then we say, God, my system can't survive if this is taken away. But the truth is that there are some things in the word of God that God is expressly expressly clear on and we can't say uh, I, I, I see it differently because God's like how can you see that differently I'm very clear with you here but then there's some other levels too and so I, I kind of brought out this thing that, that I got from Dr. Albert Moeller who's the president in the, at, at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville and he said this he says you've got to sometimes engage in what we call theological triage meaning that there are some things like in, in an ER type of scenario where if somebody comes in and they've, they've got a sniffle and they're sick, they're going to say, okay, sit down, the doctor will get to you when we can. But someone comes in with a gunshot wound and all of a sudden they, they move up to the top because this is critical. And this is what Albert Moeller says, that we as the church would be a whole lot more united if we would learn to do theological triage. That there are some things that are critical and if we start, if we, if we hold these truths and we hold them solid and say, man, we can't really 
deviate from these. But then there's some things, some fuzzier areas in Scripture where we say, you know what? You've got to go with how the Holy Spirit leads. And then there's some other things where he says, you can't spiritualize everything, right? And so this morning, what we're doing is we're kicking off a series on what are those first tier, those important issues, those critical issues. And one of those being the Holy Spirit, specifically how he functions in the way of Trinity. And so really what we're talking about is our belief in God, right? I mean, I think if it, as a church, uh, we need to have a belief about God, the one we worship, right? And we, we, need to be, we need to be deeply convicted about the God that we worship and what the Word says about the God that we worship as well. And I was reviewing Living Hope's founda- foundational documents the other day, and I love this is what it, what it says. It says, in the essential beliefs, we have unity. In the non-essentials, we have liberty. And in our beliefs, we show love. I like the way that's put. And so as I was looking through our documents, realizing that we're in this season of kind of a uh, two churches worshiping as one family. thought, okay, this is going to be fun. We're going to be talking about foundational beliefs, and we've got two churches that, and like we said, churches don't always agree on every little thing. So this is going to be fun. I hope you're here for this. This is going to be great. I'm, I'm terrified. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, exactly. Let's, uh, we're going to dive into the text this morning, and before we do that, I don't Usually, the way I preach, I like to read the whole text and then go back and break it down a little bit. But normally, I pray after reading the text. But I don't know. Something was impressed upon me this morning. I would like to just take about 20, 30 seconds of silence before we get into the text to hear God's voice. Say, God, clear out the junk. Clear out the stuff. Let me hear your word. Father, I pray now that you would speak to us as we look at the words, at your words, Lord Jesus, to your disciples. John 14 says this, Truly, I tell you, that the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these. Because I am going to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, Jesus says in verse 15, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. This world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and he'll be in you. I love what he says here in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you, or it may say in your translation, I am coming back for you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The one who has many commands and keeps them, or the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also, I also will love him, and he will reveal myself to him. And Judas, the one that is not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. And the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it's from the father who sent me. And in verse 25 and 26, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the counselor 
The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would illuminate us, you, the work that only you do, to your truth, and I pray that you would speak to us this morning. As your messenger today, I pray, just as John the Baptist did, may you increase and may we decrease. In Jesus' precious name we pray. The church said, Amen. So like I said, today we're beginning this to look at some of the foundational truths on which we base our, base our faith and practice. These things are abundantly clear, the things that, re, that really define what our true Christian faith looks like. And these are the things, like I said, they're like legs on a table. You knock out that leg, that table falls down. These are the things that we can't, like, they're, they're kind of like non-negotiables, right? And today we start with the foundational concept and the truth of the Trinity. Which, by the way, that's the, that's the concept that is probably the most mysterious, right? People for, for centuries have tried to explain this triune, uh, this triune relationship, that there is one God that is equally existed in three distinct persons, but yet it is one God, right? And that's, it's really hard to understand. Some people have tried to explain it with an egg, right? You got one egg, but it is composed of shell and yolk and white, right? And if, if your cardiologist says, forget that there's a yolk, you just eat the sh you just don't eat the shell either, right? You just eat the white, okay? Other people have tried to explain it with water, right? It is water, but exists in three forms, you know, steam and ice and water, but it's still H2O. They say, well, that, that, that explains the Trinity, but how do you explain God? Because that all falls short. How do you explain God, someone who is not of this world and not of just physical, physical material, by just using physical materials? You can't, right? It falls short. But what's interesting is I looked up both Living Hope and Graceway's statement of faith regarding the concept of God and the Trinity. And here's what they say. Here's Graceway's. Graceway says that the one and only triune God exists in three distinct persons as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Here's what Living Hope says. Living Hope says that there is one true living God as represented in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's almost like we did copy-paste and just reworded a couple of things, right? You want to know why? Because this is one of the legs of the table. This is one of the legs of the table, and this is what the Spirit guides his true followers and believers to, is the understanding that, yes, there is one God, and he exists in three forms, that there is God the Father who created all of this, and he is the designer of all of this plan. It is his, it is his will that is being carried out in this universe, and that when we as human beings messed everything up in sin, God the Son came in human flesh to redeem us. Because blood is, the redemption, blood is the currency of redemption and forgiveness of sins. And that God the Holy Spirit dwells with us now after Jesus ascended away from earth. And he dwells with us now. And he is God with us. Not just God with us, but God in us today. Right? See, all the way back to the creation account, we see God existing in three persons. But you want to know the greatest, I guess, earthly reminder of what the Trinity is? on earth, it's you and me. We are created as triune beings as well. We exist mind, body, and soul. And what's amazing is we are different than any other aspect of creation in that. And you know how we find that? All the way back in the book of, of Genesis, we see in the creation narrative that we have been made in the imago Dei or in the image of God when God said that basically after all of these days of creation, the fifth day of creation, and now the sixth day before they get started on this, that as God is authoring creation and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are making it happen, the Spirit is moving upon the face of the deep and Jesus is the Word of God taking care of the thing. 
they come together, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God, and they say this. They say, let us, on the sixth day of creation, let's make something special. Let us make man in our image. In our image, according to our likeness. Did you catch that? First of all, God says, let us. It's plural, right? That means that all three aspects of the Trinity are there. And he says, when it comes to man, when it comes to humanity, let's make them like us. Not totally like us. But let's make them exist like we do in a triune, in a triune thing, in a triune relationship. Folks, this is why we look at it and say, man, we, have, we can have a special relationship with God because he has given us and wired us with that capacity. It's what makes us blessed. And God speaks and the Son and the Spirit are working and all of these things happen, Right? God's existence looks like this as well. We have, our, our, we have this triune being as well, and God's existence looks like this. The Father is the mind or the architect of creation and redemption. God, the Son, is the physical doer of creation, and he is also the physical one who carried out the sacrifice that made redemption possible. And then God, the Spirit, is the sustainer and the sealer of that creation and that redemption because the Word tells us that Holy Spirit has sealed us in Jesus Christ. So it's this triune being that is holding us as triune beings together and uniting us together in him. And throughout the Bible that you see God present with humanity. God has always been with his humanity. The Father was present with Israel in the, a pillar of fire and a cloud uh, and a cloud through the day guiding them through the wilderness. And then he dwelled with them in the holy of holies. And then when Jesus came, he was God in flesh walking around in the streets of Nazareth, in the streets of Galilee. He was walking with people. God was present. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent the comfort of the Holy Spirit who now indwells every believer and is with us at all times. God dwells with us. And now he dwells with us in the form of the Spirit. And our text gives us this account of the time when God was with man in the flesh. And he was talking to his disciples and he knew that the time was coming short where he was going to be crucified and sacrificed and then he would ascend into heaven and he knew he was going away and God knowing us intimately knew that it was going to lead to a huge shift in the way they his disciples lived their lives imagine being a disciple thinking okay Jesus is getting ready to go now what so Jesus wanted to prepare them for that and that's when he says Jesus is about to leave them and go to the father again and so here's what I want to look at this morning because what Jesus tells these folks in our passage and in our text this morning is just as though he's telling us this today. We have the same presence of the Holy Spirit, the same presence of the Comforter living and dwelling inside of us today. And you may be here this morning, you may feel like, man, I'm just here watching from the outside looking in. And you feel all alone and you feel abandoned and you feel like, man, this is great for those of you who really feel this Jesus thing, but I want to promise you, the Spirit of God is real and he wants to dwell inside of everyone that God has created. Everyone. So I, hear, I want you to hear what a great promise the Holy Spirit is. And many times we miss out on it because let's be honest, we don't understand the Holy Spirit near as much as we understand Jesus and as much as we understand God. And in some circles, we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. But we, it's not someone we need to be afraid of at all. So let's look this morning. I want to give you just several things that Jesus says. And like I said, there's a million and one verses we could go to. But I thought looking at what Jesus said about the Spirit himself was a good place to go this morning. So what we find in verses 12 through 16 is we basically see that, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to obey God's commands. And he also empowers us to fulfill his mission. Well, what does that mean? 
He empowers us to obey his commands, and he empowers us to fulfill his mission. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever, like as a follower of Christ, have you ever just thought for a minute, man, this is hard. You, you ever just thrown your hands up and be like, man, this is hard. Following this faith stuff, it's just hard. Anybody ever felt that way? Or am I the only one? The only one that's struggling with this Christian thing is the one preaching. Is that it? That's, that's good. We're all in trouble, right? Yeah, we are. Now, here's the deal. We've all sinned because we've all just lied by not putting our hands up. Every one of us, we look at them, this, this is just tough. This faith thing, this, this thing of, of, of being in the world but not of the world, and this thing of, of, of walking in faith to someone I can't see and I can't taste and I can't, I can't touch and, and all this stuff. I, I, can't, I can't experience him with my senses, but I know he's there. It's hard. Matter of fact, sometimes it's the moments right after we've surrendered more to Christ that we find that it's really harder to be the Christian that we committed to be. Because there's still this other spirit out there that really doesn't like us committing to, to the Savior. He doesn't like us saying, hey, I surrender all to you. And so he's going to throw temptation at us left and right to try to get us to walk away and try to quench the spirit in our life. So yeah, the more commitment that we make to the Lord, the more we're walking in the spirit, also we'll find that the fires of temptation are right, lick, just, just like nipping at our heels. In our text, Jesus tells the disciples that those who truly believe in him and follow him will do the works that he does in verse number 12. Jesus says, if you love me, in verse number 15, you'll keep my commandments. If we're true followers of Christ, we will desire and we will want to obey him, please him, and be as he is. And so he calls us to, this, to a shared mission. And he's calling the disciples to that. Look, I'm getting ready to go, but when I go, I don't want you just to go back to life as normal. You, are, you have been born and bought into a brand new life with a whole new purpose. And that is to bring glory to the Father, not to go catch as many fish as you can. You're fishing for men now, guys, not going back to fish for fish. And so Jesus says, here's how it's going to change. The Holy Spirit is going to come to dwell in you. See, Christ followers will join in mission and be used as instruments to do his will. But then he says that we'll do even greater works than he did in verse number 13. You might think, man, that's... How can we do greater works? It means our expanse, our reach can be even greater because when Jesus was here, he was God locally right there in that body. But now with the Holy Spirit, he is God everywhere in every body of every believer. And he is working and he is moving. We see it at Asbury. We see it in, in church services everywhere. We see it happening in other places. All over the world, the same Spirit is leading us regardless of whether we're American or we're... Paraguayan, is that right? Paraguayan, right? Whether we're Filipino, whether we're Romanian, he is the same spirit uniting us. You see, we'll learn later on in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Holy Spirit is our intercessor in prayer, teaching and guiding us in our prayer. And then also the Bible says that he makes groanings for us that we can't even utter ourselves. You ever been in your prayer life, in your prayer closet, you just think, man, I don't even know what to say today. That's good. Just sit in his presence. Let the spirit do an intercessory work for you. And then we see in verse number 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And this isn't the only place that Jesus says this. Now, how many of you would say this? I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Yeah, you're in church. Better say that. Right? <laughs> now, how many of you, keep your hand up if you always keep his commands. That sounds like a very tall order that none of us can keep, right? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
And it is. It's a tall order that none of us can keep in our flesh. So what does Jesus immediately say after that? He says, when I leave, I'm going to pray the Father and ask the Father, and he will send a counselor to you. Your translation may say a comforter, or it may say an advocate, because a counselor is one who advocates for us, not only advocates for us, but strengthens us and prods us. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's like, look, you can't follow me on your own. So I'm going to be inside of you, prompting you to follow me. This is when Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's keeping his word because the Holy Spirit is Jesus. It is God the Father. It is the Trinity in you doing a work. You are never alone. You will never walk alone. And here's where we see the Spirit changes everything. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father. He'll give you another counselor to be with you forever. I've often wondered what it would be like to be one of the 12 disciples, you know, thinking while, while Jesus was there. Do you think any of the 12 disciples ever just like rebelled against Jesus? You know, Jesus says, and we see him arguing with him, but like, honest, I mean, other than Judas, which is the obvious, right? I know somebody's like, that's Judas. Does, has, does he know about Judas yet? Yeah, I know about Judas. Okay. But the disciples, I'm thinking, it would be really hard for me to look at Jesus and say, you know what, I don't think I'm going to do what you say. I think I got a better idea. But to the Spirit, we do that all the time. Don't we? See, with the disciples, they're thinking, man, when Jesus leaves, <laughs> we get to run the show. We're going to make some changes around here. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's like, no, no. The God's like, no, 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 I'm going to put the Spirit inside of you and lead you. And you're going to be on mission with him. And then, and then what we see, this kind of leads us to the next thing, is that he resides with us forever. The Holy Spirit is God with us forever. Again, like I said, and I've kind of already covered this point, really, is that he's with us. The Spirit of God is evidence that he doesn't leave us or forsake us. And you know what makes Christianity so beautiful? Christianity is completely different from any other philosophy or ism or religion in the world because only in Christianity do you find that God came to us. Every other religion you find, it's always, I got to work my way to God, man. I got to do this. I got I, I to scrape and claw to get to God. But only in Jesus do you find that God scrapes and claws to get to man. It's, he, he turns religion and all those ideas on its, on its, on its head. And he says, not only am I going to sit here and you come to me, he says, no, I'm going to be up in heaven. I'm going to be controlling everything, but I'm also going to be with you. And I'm going to come to you. He resides with the believer forever. Jesus is telling that. Now, now, now let's put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples for a minute. You've walked with him. You've given up your, you've, you've given up your nets. You've given up your tax collector table. You've done everything, and you've lived with this guy for three and a half years. And it's been cool because you've seen him do some amazing things, walking on water, turning water to wine, all this stuff. And you've seen amazing things. And now Jesus is saying, but I'm getting ready to be crucified. And you've got to be thinking, okay. And he says, but don't worry because in three days later, I'm going to come back from the dead, and I'm going to live again. And you've got to be thinking, that's going to be the best one ever. Right? Water to wine, awesome. Right? Walking on water, cool. Healing the lame and the leper, that got some attention. But coming back from the dead, Houdini didn't even do that. And then he says, yeah, but after I raise from the dead, I'm going to leave. And then you're thinking, what now? And Jesus says, actually, that's not going to be the greatest thing. After I leave, you're going to go out and you're going to do greater works for me. And I'm going to send, I'm not going to leave you alone, though. I'm going to send the Spirit. And He is going to enable you and empower you to do those things. John 14, verses 16 through 17, He says this, 
I will ask the Father, he'll give you another counselor to be with you, and not just to be with you every once in a while, not just be with you in a special room that's been consecrated, but he will be with you, not just in one body, in one location, but he will be with you forever. He'll be with you forever. And then he says this, he is the spirit of truth, and he is, the world is unable to receive him, because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him because he remains in you and will be in you. This is the truth, not just for the disciples yesterday, but it's true for the disciples, you and I today. You and I are not just coming to church where God resides, and this is where we meet God. No, we are the temple of God. We are the church everywhere we go. God is moving and he is working in us everywhere we go. And it also tells me this, you will never, you never have and you never will walk alone. And I just feel like there's somebody here today that that's what you need to really hear. You've never been and you never have to walk alone. In Jesus, you're not alone. This is why we see the word say, he was tempted in every way we are yet without sin. That he knows us intimately. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He catches our tears in a bottle. He knows us and we are never alone because the Holy Spirit is with us at all times. The other thing that he is, and he, here's the question. We, we talk about God sometimes and we think sometimes people look at it. And a lot of times people in the world think he's just an impersonal God. But how personal is our God? Is that if you will come to him, he will live with you and will be with you forever, every moment of every day, every mountaintop, every low valley. And when you draw your last physical breath, that's when it really gets good. Because then you're ushered into the presence of Jesus and into the presence of God the Father. Also, we got to move quick, but he solidifies the truth of God to us and in us. We live in a culture today that looks at this book and says, yeah, it's old. Written by a bunch of old people from an old society, and it's not good for us today. Matter of fact, not only is it not good for us, it's damaging for us today. But then you're thinking, you get in it and you're thinking, how can this be damaging that the Spirit of the Lord gives liberty and He shows us His way? And it's like, You know what that is? That's the Spirit of God confirming truth in your heart. You look at this word and say, how can people not believe this word? That's the Spirit confirming His truth in your heart. See, when Jesus is introducing the concept of the Spirit to the believers in the text, He calls Him the Spirit of truth. It means that the Holy Spirit doesn't operate contrary to the way God operates. I appreciate Pastor Chris giving his opinion on the um, Asbury Revival because I think those opinions are important. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of them skepticism, people all in, all that stuff. And I believe exactly what Chris, Pastor Chris, we were talking about this the other day. It was on like our 15th cup of coffee. <laughs> and uh, we're like, you know, the real fruit of revival is not seen until later. After, after the, all of that is over and then we start seeing has the Spirit of God moved on us to do God things. And um, I don't really know where I'm going with this, to be honest with you. But the Spirit will lead us and guide us in truth. It will always lead us and guide us to unity in the truth of God's Word. And that's why He's there, because a lot of times, you know, when Jesus was there, it was like, all right, man, 
disciples are fighting over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Or, Jesus, could you settle this for us? Yeah, the first will be last, the last will be first. And you're both wrong. So sit down. You can't argue with God right there, right? But when the Spirit is here, it's a little bit different, and He begins to tell us what the truth is. And here's what He says in verse number 13 of John chapter 16. Just a few chapters over, He says this, that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come, and he will glorify me, Jesus says, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. What this means is the Holy Spirit is never going to lead us in a direction that the other parts of the Trinity would not go. That means he's always going to be leading in the way that God wants to go, because he's God, and God can't be divided against himself. So if the Holy Spirit is really leading, this is what it means. Many times people have laid a lot of things that are not biblical on a move of the Spirit, but this is how we know that it's not. Because if the move of the Spirit does not line up with the Word of God, and it also detracts from the Son of God, then it is not of God. So the Spirit will always move in accordance with the Word of God, and will always move in accordance with what the Word of God is expressly saying. So he tells us what is true and then the third ministry that he has is he's the promise of Christ's return and the evidence of his abiding presence now what did Jesus say he says I'm getting ready to leave but but before I go I want you to know that the spirit is coming but what did he say right before that in John chapter 14 verse 18 he says I will not leave you as orphans this is beautiful this is I was studying this one made me cry Again, we know that God doesn't want us to be alone, but also that he looks at us now as his children, and I will not leave you abandoned. I will not leave you an orphan. He says, I will come again to you. And he says, but in the meantime, before I come again to you, the Spirit will reside in you and will keep that promise alive in your heart and in your mind because we live in a broken and a fallen world that is totally contrary to the world that you have been born and baptized into in the Spirit. I'm going to give you just a piece of heaven living inside of you to remind you that you are not of this world. You are of mine. And that will keep your eyes looking to the skies waiting for my return. You see, in this whole text, we see that Jesus knows the disciples have to be fearful about what's next. He says, I'm going to be back soon. Just wait. And like a loving father, he says, I'm going to be back soon. Just wait for me, and here's something to remember me by. Here's something to give you a piece of me while I'm gone. But right now, and this is beautiful, even while we wait, we're not alone because the Spirit lives us, empowers us, intercedes for us, leads us, prompts us to righteousness, and assures us that we are His kids and that we are loved by Him and that He is returning for us. See, it's what the Word says. Right now, we see through a glass dimly. It's like looking at a mirror that's just kind of jumbled up. We don't get a, we don't get a, a real picture of just the full glory of God, but one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. See, that should excite us. It's kind of like, how many, how many in here are married? Yeah, okay. This is bad because, oh my gosh, I can't believe how bad this is. I left my wedding ring on the, 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 the counter this morning because I was putting gel in my hair and I normally take it and I forgot. Oh my gosh, and I'm using this illustration. That's terrible. <sighs> okay. Before you got married, a few things happened, right? Right? What happened? You, you, you dated for a while, right? Or you courted or, or something like that. Or at least you said, hey, I like you. And I don't just like you. I like like you. <laughs> right? So what happens when that happens normally? 
there's what happens before you actually get married. You go from girlfriend and boyfriend to being husband and wife. There's something in between, right? You get engaged, right? You're, you're fiancés for a little while, right? Well, what happens, and what is, what is an engagement? What, what is an engagement period? It's a time where you're living on a promise of a future union. And something is exchanged, usually, a ring in our culture, but in those days, there was a couple of things that were exchanged. A down payment on a dowry was paid to the family of the groom, and then the groom would give a symbol or a token of his commitment to the future bride that was saying, I'm going away to prepare our home together. And that's what would happen in the ancient Jewish culture is that the groom's responsibility would be to provide a place to live, usually sometimes on the land where the father of the groom lived because that was part of their down payment. He would say, when I'm finished with that house, I will come and then we will get married. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. And what's awesome is back in the beginning of our chapter, in chapter 14, Jesus is saying, don't be discouraged. If you believe in God, believe in me because I'm going right now to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. He is speaking to us, church, as the bride. And he is the groom saying, I'm going to come back again. And right here, later on in that verse, he's saying, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you this token, this down payment. And that is the Holy Spirit. That right now as the church, as the bride of Christ, you are mine and I am yours. <laughs> but one day, man, one day it's going to be full glory. We see a piece of it now, but one day it's going to be full glory. And it's a down payment on the promise of things to come. And in 2 Corinthians, he says, he has put also a seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment of what is to come in the future when he returns. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance in him until the redemption of the possession and the praise of glory. Catch how awesome that is, especially when you add to the fact that you look at the book of Revelations and the church, guess what we're called? We're the bride of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring with Jesus. And he's like saying, look, God, look, bride, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again as soon as everything is ready. And as soon as, as, soon as the Father says it's time, I'm going to return to receive you. And also what he does is he teaches us how to obey, and he illuminates the Scripture to us, showing us how to be holy. This is one of the most probably most important works that he does for us is that he teaches us how to obey and he illuminates what God's word says to us. Remember back when I asked that question, is it hard to follow Jesus? Yeah, it is. The truth is yes. Matter of fact, it's impossible on your own. Jesus says this in John 14, and we'll be done. I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and he will mind you of everything that I've told you. This means that while it may be impossible to follow Christ faithfully on our own, he has given us all that we need to follow him. I'll just give you a little, just a little view into my upbringing and how I viewed God for a long time. And this is just me because this is my personality and the way I look at things. I love a checklist. At my heart, I'm prone to just be a legalist. The fact that I looked at Christianity and my faith in Jesus as being, I do this, 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 and this, and this makes me a good Christian. But you know what that became? That became another prison. When I began to study the word, I saw that the spirit of the Lord leads us to freedom and liberty in him. 
and thinking, man, why do I feel just so like trapped? And, and here's the thing. I was doing all the right things, but still feeling so guilty because of all the good things I did, there were still those other things over there that, man, I just hadn't gotten right yet because I wasn't trying to submit and surrender to the Spirit of God that was telling me, you are mine and I am yours, and let me guide you into truth. Let me guide you into holiness. And for the places where you fail, I have sealed you in grace. That doesn't mean that I take advantage of it. So, well, if I'm sealed in grace, I'll just do what I want to. No, because the Holy Spirit also compels us to love him in return, right? So maybe that's you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're just like, Christianity to you is just this list of do's and don'ts. And, and you're tired. And I can tell you, it, it will. It will wear you out. But following Jesus leads to what he says in the very last. If we move one more verse, and this morning as I was preparing to come over here, I was just reviewing the text and looking at it again, and I had not actually included this in the text that we were going to cover, but just that one verse after chapter 26, what does it say? Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And he says, I don't give it as the world gives it. (laughs) Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. This is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's peace working in us to bring us a peace with God. And so as we go to a time of prayer and reflection, that's what I want to ask you this morning. Do you have the peace of God? So as we bow our heads this morning and as we close our eyes, do you have the peace of God in the form of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. The the Word tells us this, that we come to know Jesus as our Savior. The Spirit then lives inside of us. And he's doing all those things that we just talked about this morning. And all of that results in peace in our hearts, peace with God. Do you have that peace? If you don't come to Christ today, talk to Pastor Chris or myself or anyone here that can show you how you can have peace with Jesus by just trusting in him as your Savior. But Christian, let me ask you this. Maybe you just kind of lost, lost sight or you've been quenching the Spirit in your heart. So if you can be quenched, maybe today is just a time to come and reflect and say, Lord, I, I, I just want to get out of the way. I just want to get out of the way and I want you to prevail in me, to guide me, to direct me, to tell me the truth. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.